Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your host Shane Grove and we just wanted to put a little disclaimer at the beginning of this episode um, while we were doing our interview with our guest there were a few times where uh, the phone went in and out and we lost uh, we lost a little bit of the audio um, we acknowledge it during the interview but we just kind of kept it in there for the sake of the flow of the interview so there'll be a couple spots where uh, our guest goes in and out but we bring him back out of it and we, we pick back up and um, there's no information that gets lost. So just enjoy the beauty of podcasting uh, as a bunch of amateurs. <laughs> so so uh, we're, we thank you for tuning in. We thank you for your understanding and patience. And we hope you enjoyed this uh, episode as much as we did. Thanks. Hey, welcome everyone to the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and with me as always is the bearded wonder super producer, Jason. Greetings, everyone. And sitting across, who is also a bearded wonder. I mean, I, I love that you guys just rock those beards. I feel a little inferior, but the barrister is across the table. I'm back. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay, I we're not going to ask what he's back from, or what he is, uh, what he's going to do. It's after like the Backstreet he, Boys. You're like the Backstreet. Backstreet. Back. You're back. Okay. I'm back. Okay. All right. Well, um, through the wonders of social media, who you know, some people hate social media, but we on the podcast love social media because it allows us to connect with potential guests which is how we got today's guest. 
with us. Um, I'm a member of quite a few uh, different Bigfoot and other paranormal Facebook pages that we kind of mm-hmm. promote the podcast on, hoping to you know have people come and listen to the episodes or find people such as our guest today who have great stories. And um, so the one Facebook page in particular, it's called Sasquatch Dogman UFO Journals. Okay. Now I'm not saying that uh, Sasquatch, the Dogman or UFO is doing journaling and doing some writing. Okay. It appears to be stories about each of those that, you know, people put up and it's a pretty interesting uh, that paints page. a pretty broad stroke uh, of cryptids is. right there. It is. Yeah, that's what it I is. said. I got to get on it. And the administrator, uh, Chris Branch, knew I was knew I was looking for some some potential uh, guests, and he introduced me to not only uh, our guest, but he's also a uh, Buckeye. I mean, he doesn't live in the state right now, but he he was born a Buckeye. So. Ken. Once a Buckeye, always Once a Buckeye. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, so, Ken, let's just jump right into it. Other than, you know, that you were born in the greatest state in the land of the free, Ohio, right? I That's think we right. all agree. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, why is it that we'd have you on the show? Let's just let's just just jump right into it. Tell us, you know, tell us. I, and 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 I'm glad you're doing that because I've been listening to a lot of our podcasts, and one of the most irritating things is it takes 15 minutes to get to the guest to start telling a story, and I think listeners they're tired of hearing Grover and Jason pontificate on different <laughs> issues. They don't mind hearing me. Of now course. the ironic <laughs> thing the ironic thing is is as we were getting to the guest, we were interrupted. But I had to lay the I had to, yeah, but I had to explain that that it's a refreshing thing. So. <laughs> Enough of this, you know, chit-chat. Let's get down to brass tacks, as they say in Hollywood. Shoot us some smart stuff, man. Uh, All right. So, Ken, explain to everybody, like, why we'd have you on the show and and just start from the beginning. Because I know the stories. These guys don't. Well, before I... um, Ken, we're losing you. Um... Hello. You hear me now? Yeah. There we yes, go. We'll have, to, yeah. we'll have to edit this okay. back out. <laughs> See, I, I jinxed this with saying, let's get on brass tacks. <laughs> yeah, now we got you. So tell us, tell us right. your story. All right. So I, I was born and raised in northeastern Ohio. In fact, it's the easiest city in the state of Ohio to find. It's the upper right-hand corner. Conneaut, Ohio. Um, in fact, our motto for as long as I can remember, was Ohio's best corner. And when the reason I'm on the show, my first encounter with a Bigfoot when I was was when I was seven years old. Seven years old. So, wow. so where seven were you years at? old? Um. Okay. Conneaut has a confluence of a lot of um, like railroads and ore boats that that sail on Lake Erie. Uh, they bring iron ore in from the Great Lakes to go on. They bring coal up from southern Pennsylvania, West Virginia, to go on the back on the ore boats to send across to the different factories along the Great Lakes. Uh, so at the time, I lived next to the Conrail tracks. And if you threw my backyard, it 
was probably not even a quarter of a mile down over a hill and to the Conneaut Creek. So this particular night, I was camping in the side yard with my friends. My dad, he got up, went in the house sometime in the middle of the night because his theory was, I'm not going to sleep on the ground. Why should I? Your kids, you do it. I don't care. So leave a bunch of kids out with a nice roaring campfire in the middle of the night. So, so let me. It ask was the early eighties. Can, can you? Sure. I was going to ask you early eighties. So, in the early eighties, you would let kids sleep outside, <laughs> you know, by themselves, and you know, not think a thing of it with loaded weapons. Oh, and, sure. You know, in a fire and stuff. Oh, yeah. In the mid eighties, we were going down into the, like along the creek into the woods, a bunch of us camping by ourselves with no parental supervision at all. And, you, you know, know today guns or large say, knives and yeah, people today would say, you know, I, I'm not kidding. You, children's services would be knocking on your door saying, are you letting a seven year old go camping by himself? But back in the mm-hmm. 80s, that there was nothing strange about that. It was just a different time. No. And there was no cell phones. You couldn't have called somebody for help. It's a different free range parenting. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, it was be- better times. And I think we t- all turned out pretty good. That's questionable. So, that is questionable. I will just interject. Right, so right now, all right. that is questionable. So Ken's out. So he's out camping. How many people were out camping with you? Oh my gosh, probably I would say maybe three or four other people. Okay, similar ages. Oh uh, yeah, they were all around seven or eight years old. Um, it was let's see, eighty-one would have been the summer after first grade for me. So there were a couple of, we were going into second grade. I had a friend or two who were going into third grade. So we're all camping out and there was a shed behind the house that I was obsessed with. My God, I was obsessed with the shed. It was like the coolest toy ever, but it was broken down and it had rafters and floorboards were gone and there were nails sticking out. And I was absolutely 100% forbidden from playing in it ever. It had tetanus written all over it. <laughs> it did. And, uh, you know, you, you forbid a seven-year-old from playing somewhere. That's the first place he's going to want to go. So I was obsessed with it. So we're outside. My dad had gone inside. And um, I'm looking. The fire's dying down. I'm still awake. It's maybe 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm looking at that shed. And I'm starting to obsess over it. And I'm like, I got to go play in this shed. I got to go play in this shed. So I get up. My friends are all asleep, snoring away, laying on blankets, sleeping bags. One had a tarp over him. I don't know. Uh, so we, go, I go down to the shed, and I go in. Now, uh, where the house was, the railroad tracks were to the north, which was the very back of the shed. For some reason, the door was facing south, which made absolutely no sense to me because it was facing someone else's yard. There was a window that faced to the east where the creek was. And then there was nothing facing west toward the house in the street. So I get in there and I'm playing. It might have been like Buck Rogers, you know, me hanging out with the ever beautiful Wilma Deering or Princess Ardala or some, you know, some nonsense like that. Or it was Doctor Who and I was in the TARDIS or maybe it was MASH, you know, and I was hanging out with Nurse Kelly because she was my favorite for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm playing, and at this time, I have to say that at this time, I had this this little paranoia, this thing that I would do where I would look around a room. I would scan a room, 
a corner of the room that could not be seen from anywhere. That if you had to hide from someone looking out, looking in from outside, I would find the corner of the room where I could hide and no one could see me. And I'll get to that point in, in, a, in a minute. Um, so I'm in this shed and all of a sudden I hear a crack coming from the woods down toward the creek and these heavy footfalls. I hold my breath. I scoot back into the northeast corner of this shed, not realizing that in front of me where the door should have been, it's wide open. Anybody could have just walked there, looked me right in the face and said, oh, hey, there we are. But I'm hiding. My head's right below this window because it wasn't in the center. It was offset. And, and I'm sitting, I'm shaking. My eyes are closed as tight as they can be. I'm back in this corner. I think nothing's going to see me. There was this, this smell. Um, it, it's like the only way I can compare it, and I've smelled it many times over the year, and I know a lot of people have, have referred to the smell and talked about it differently. There's something called skunkweed. No, not, not that skunkweed. This is like a cabbage. And it's this weed that grows up in the ground. If you walk through it and break the leaves, it smells like skunk. I also smelled kind of a rotting flesh. If you walked along a road in the summertime or along railroad tracks that go through the woods, you may find a deer that's been baking in the sun, the hot sun of August, for weeks. And it has this kind of musky, rotten, leathery smell. And then there was a sickly, sweet smell of rotting food. I used to work at a uh, an amusement park, and the trash cans where people would throw stuff with the sugar that's in ketchup and other things, the sodas would make, along with the rotting food, would make this sickly sweet smell. So it was a combination of all of those. I'm scared to death. I'm hiding in the corner, and then I heard a sound that sounded like a horse chuffing, like the air going through. Hey, Ken, you're breaking up on us. Oh. All right, how about now? Yeah, I think you're going to have to sit perfectly still, to be honest with you. All right, yeah, that's what I'm trying. And I don't know what it is with my signal. But. Okay, so you, so right. you, you, you get the smells. Yeah, the smell. I hear the chuffing sound. It's like a like a horse exhaling, you know, when they, they, they ripple their lips or whatever. And I look up and I see her face. It was definitely a feminine face, conical head, streaks of gray in the hair. And the eyes, the eyes were like this dark golden brown, these beautiful, I still see them when I close my eyes sometimes. I still dream about these eyes, but I see these eyes. They're the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen. And I'm just staring into them. And and there's, I don't know, there's sadness and there's joy. And there's love. I'm seeing all these emotions and maybe that's in my head. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading it into that, but I'm staring at this creature's eyes, whatever this is. And I might have been looking at her face, staring into her eyes for a couple of it may have been a couple of hours. I don't know. I lost all sense of time. And I had made a decision. I made a decision to lift my arms up, let her pull me out of that window, 
and take me off wherever she was going to take me. At that moment, I started to lift up my eyes or my arms, started lifting up my arms towards her. And a couple of things happened at once. The first thing was I got hit in the chest with something. It wasn't physical. It was a low rumble that I really couldn't hear. Um, I've watched nature documentaries where they describe bull elephants and this low rumble that people can feel but can't hear. That hit me in the chest. A twig snapped towards the woods, and it must have been around four, between 4 and 5 a.m. That's when Amtrak would go past the house because I heard the whistle from Amtrak blowing. She turned around and walked away into the woods. I sat there for, I don't know, maybe a half an hour before I wandered my way back to the campfire and tried to go to sleep. How big um, was she? I couldn't really tell. Um, I'd think maybe six and a half, seven feet. She was not huge compared to ones that I've seen later. Um, but she was hunched over with her face literally six, eight inches from my face with it poked through the window of this shed. That's so, crazy. It is. That's amazing. Yeah. There, there were bigger ones. Now, I used to have this dream, or what I thought was a dream, and some I had a psychologist one time call it the pee-pee dream. It's the dream where you're asleep and you're going to the bathroom while you're asleep. Mm-hmm. That's your body's way of telling you, wake up, you have to go to the bathroom. If you keep going to the bathroom and don't wake up and go, you wet the bed. I was never bed wetter. I have never wet the bed when I was younger. But I had these dreams where I would get up, walk downstairs to the bathroom, and I would always try to hide. The reason I was trying to find that corner of the room that couldn't be seen from any of the windows is because there was always something watching me. These were 88-inch windows. Top of the window was 88 inches off the floor. And that sat another maybe two feet with the foundation of the house. Um but there was always something watching me through the windows near where I lived was the Pittsburgh and Conneaut dock company and every shift change. They ran a, um, a siren, a siren, like whistle. this sounds like similar to uh, what Bobo does on uh, finding Bigfoot, the Bigfoot calls that he does. It sounded like that. Um, so that would always, that would always send chills down my spine. But yeah, that's the the reason I was looking for that that hidey hole, that corner that no one could see me, was because things were looking at me through the windows outside at night. And you and you grew up thinking it was a dream, and and then later on, kind of figured out that maybe something was actually watching you through the windows. Then, oh yeah, I had convinced myself it was a dream. Absolutely. Wow, that's 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 really spooky to think. That that something must have been watching you while you were sleeping, mm-hmm. to know that you were getting up to go to the bed. You know what I'm saying? Like they just must mm-hmm. have been watching you guys in the house all the time. Well, yeah, because I would turn the hall light on. You can see it from you know, you can see the upstairs hall light flash on because we never closed our bedroom doors. So no matter what side of the house you were on, you always saw that light. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's, well, that's that's amazing. That's uh, that's kind of scary when you think about it. 
Yeah. So do you think it was a whole family of them in that particular area? Or am I? I honestly do. Okay. No, I, I think because there were several different sizes we've seen over the years and I'll get to the stories, but we've seen juveniles, my friends and I, we've, we've seen adults, uh, we'd seen alpha males, you know, at, at different points. So, so what did your parents yeah. say? Did you tell your parents what you were seeing? I never, I never told my parents about that. No, never. Even later, even later in life, did you never told your parents? Uh, not, not after what we, what my friends and I refer to as the big event. Um, after my father's reaction, I, I, I never told him about any of that. It was, we thought he would be the person to believe us. My friends and I thought he would be the one to believe us out of all of our parents. He was the most liberal thinking. He was the most open-minded about things. And every time he had exactly the same answer. Such as? So, um, <laughs> it was one of the tall African-American men in town wearing a fur coat. Oh, my. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. <laughs> Jason is one of the tall African-American men. And he's into, wearing a fur coat right he's now. Wearing a fur no, coat. I am not. Don't be lying like that. i got to be honest. I stared in his eyes for hours one time. <laughs> he, he tried to pick me up and carry me away. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, that's, so, that's crazy. So it sounds like, from what you're telling us, this, this, specific, area, this specific area was a hotbed for activity, because you believe that there was a family of Sasquatch living in that area, so I want to take oh, you back to the there original. There were probably a couple, but but I guess going back to the original, your original story, what did you think that the female Sasquatch was going to do if she picked you up? I mean, did she think you were she was going to swallow you like a baby, and or was she honestly, take you yeah, somewhere and feed you to her family? What what I saw, like what I or what I see now when I close my eyes and and see her in my dreams and when when i think back because i still see those eyes to this day it's been 40 years this summer it was 40 years since that happened and i still see her eyes and the the sadness i've seen in too many people who have lost their children mm, that okay. that was the type of sadness i saw in her eyes the love that i saw in her eyes is the love that i've seen in mothers when they look at their children so you think and she make, lost a she lost a child and right and that you and it's kind of like us you know when we see when we like my daughter just got a brand new puppy and when you look at that puppy you, you just you know there's this instinctual thing in you in you to I guess to pick it up to baby mm -hmm. it to mother it to whatever you're gonna do until that first time right craps right on the rug yeah, or peas exactly. in the yeah. Yeah. But so, so what you're saying is that this was a motherly instinct that it, it saw you almost like we see puppies or kittens and, and you wanted to pick it. and, and you could feel, feel that and connection and, and it, uh, it wanted to pick up and, and, you know, there's like, there's been, I was down at the Columbus zoo and they have a really good primate area. They have a grill area. And, and I remember there was this, uh, this mother there and she had a little kid. It, it, it was less than a year old. And she was sitting there and, you know, holding it up to the, up to the, mm -hmm. you know, the glass. And one of the females came over and was just fascinated with the human baby. Like it was like looking like it was just mm -hmm. fascinating with this human baby. And, and I, and I got the feeling that this isn't a Harambe story, but you got this feeling that if there had been no glass there, that 
they would have that would have picked this little this baby up mm-hmm. and just held it like it looked the way this it, there was this it was like two moms yeah it was like two moms and, right. and the thing about it was there was a strange intelligence in the female gorilla's eyes mm-hmm. you know what I mean like there was this maternal instinct in its eyes they just sitting there watching it going this is really freaky you know what mm-hmm. I mean like like you would literally think. You you see the connection between primates and humans. You, that, that there's this this there's this motherly maternal instinct to care for infants. So yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. I think in this particular situation that that female Sasquatch could have been like uh, thinking of him as like a replacement. She was probably going to take him and you know go back to her family. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what. And I was I was ready. I was ready to go and live the rest of my life you know, with as the same a, clothes that I had on at seven years old. As yeah. a baby Sasquatch. But she never, she never really made the attempt to do that. You just felt like that that was something she may have wanted or, or wish right. she could have done. Yeah. Well, so know, it's not like, yeah, yeah it's I've, not like she really tried to snag in and run away. And she I've was never, just checking you out. I've never been one to believe in like mind speak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if it's, if it's true or whatever. I just, that what I felt was a very calm sensation. What I felt was that if I went with her, nothing would ever hurt me again in life. You know, that, mm-hmm. that everything would be perfect. And I mean, uh, maybe it was, was my imagination. Maybe it was, you know, some of the crap that happened to me when I was a child. I don't know, but yeah, it, I mean, it's, I, I like to use the term that she adopted me. Right. Um, I've had friends that in the woods in there's a bigger area of the woods in Kanye that we call hogs back that what it's just this huge, massive forested area. Part of it's along the Creek. But it's a little further away from the, like the train tracks and the, the roads and everything. And friends of mine always felt uncomfortable going in there. You hear stories all the time about, I knew something was out there. All the animals stopped. There were no noises. And I just felt this sense of dread. Like I need to get out. I always felt safe. Mm-hmm. I always felt safe in the woods, even when I look back now and realize that I know they were around because I think I was adopted mm-hmm. in, in some sense of the word. She was the alpha female or she was the matriarch mm-hmm. of their family group. And I never know what to call it, a, a family, a pod, a, a troop like chimpanzees, whatever, a tribe. But she was the matriarch and, and I was under her protection. And they weren't going to mess with me until they had to. Yeah. And it's, it's how many times have we heard time and time again when people that have had sightings such as yourself have uh, had a feeling that they communicated with the uh, Sasquatch, like through their mind, like like they, they were reading its thoughts or something. And you you knew the way this thing was looking at you, you were getting the sensation that perhaps, uh, you know, she did adopt you in her own way and you knew you were safe. Right. So, yeah. Right. And, and that's not even the craziest part of the story of, well, of this particular story, as she was walking away, she looks over her shoulder and I can hear it right now, as clear as it was then she made two noises. She let out her breath and it made a sound like whoosh, Mm-hmm. a whooshing sound, and then she made a guttural knock with her throat, like, ook. Whoosh and ook. So in my mind, that's what I called her. That was her name. She was telling me her name. 
she was making sounds that she thought I could understand. Right. Wow. I mean, and maybe I'm way off base. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that. I don't know. But in my mind, that was her name. Well, it's that is both of those uh, noises are Sasquatch behaviors. I mean, we've heard that through different accounts. So that could very well be what she was doing. You know, I had I had a question. I had an experience not that long ago. Grover and I have talked about it where um, I was in this in this certain area and I heard I heard this sound and it sounded like at first I thought it was a bull, but then almost sounded like it was a horse, like this big huff. Like like it was, I mean, Mm -hmm. unreal. I mean, just unreal how it whatever made the sound sounded like it was just gigantic. And so I was talking to my son-in-law. I says, well, you know, a real big buck deer can make those sounds. And then I went on YouTube and listened to no less than 30 videos. And it's not even close. Like, it's not <laughs> even close. So, and so it sounded, like I said, it sounded kind of like a horse. Are you saying that's what you thought you heard? Was it like a, like a horse when it... When it that initial chopping sound. Yeah. With the... the kind of you know mm-hmm. with the air going through the lips yeah that was the initial sound that made me look up so let me ask you so nobody did you did you grow up with any brothers and sisters yes okay did any of them have similar feelings experiences or you know such as thinking something was watching them through the windows or um none of them none of them ever went into the woods None of them ever, they were all younger than me. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time we lived in that particular house, my brother was four, maybe three, three at the time this incident happened. Well, and then, if you're in what, the woods at seven, your brother might be driving at three or four. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah. come on. laughs> so, and, so and have you ever talked to them about any of this that to see if they, experienced anything that they may not have said to you at the time like because the Um, whole thing the 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 thing watching you through the window i mean that could have happened to any you know any of them at any time whether they went out to the woods or not and i i haven't talked to them um per se but i remember stories about my sister talking about my father's uncle was hit by a train near the house tragic he was walking along tracks and apparently he turned around didn't really hear the train coming but turned around and said go ahead and do it you son of a bee to the engineer that's what the at the testimony my sister watched that but she said that she saw the tall man watching it from the woods oh i asked her about that who who was the tall man one time she told me she doesn't remember she doesn't even remember seeing him that it was such a tragic like moment like boom it just happens and she just put it out of her mind and she doesn't even remember seeing the hit happen she's blocked it out wow but at the time she distinctly said there was a tall man in the woods the tall man was watching from the woods yeah wow yeah wow so so were there other events then that led up to the big event yeah, um, my 12th birthday, we had moved in 83. There was a house fire in 83, and I think we lived there through 84 and then moved to a different house, again, next to a, a railroad track, this time next to the North and Southern tracks, and still less than a quarter-mile walk 
down the street and down over the hill to the creek. Um, so it was my sixth birthday, or my sixth, my twelfth birthday, nineteen eighty-six, March eleventh. I get a telescope, but this is the afternoon. It's in early mid-March, so the days are getting longer. It's still daylight out. We can't look at the stars through it. So what do we do? We run down to look at and see what we can see at the creek. So we run down to the end of the road, and we're looking through it, and I saw a large streak go in front of my my field of view. And I was like, holy crap. And then my best friend pushes me out of the way, shoves me out of the way, and looks. He's like, my turn. And he's like, holy crap, what was that? And he tracked it going deeper into the woods. It was chasing something, we think. Um, that was the first time that my father told, I was like, holy crap, we just saw Bigfoot. And that was the first time my dad said, oh, it was just one of the large, tall African-American men wearing a, wearing a fur coat down there fishing. It didn't have a fishing rod. It didn't have tackle. And it was unseasonably warm. Well, let me Why would he you, be wearing a big fur coat? So let me ask you this. Why do you think your dad said that? Do you think he, he knew it was a Bigfoot or thought it was just trying to, to – to, to, trying to rationalize it with something. I, was that's he, I think. Or was he rationalization. trying to think that, hey, look, I don't want these guys – I don't want these kids to believe this is real. I don't think I mean, he ever, really ever believed. I, I think my dad was a non-believer. He was he was one of those strict non-believers who did not believe that the creature exists, would refute evidence. He used to roll his eyes every time I'd watch the Patterson Gimlin film on TV. And you know, he just didn't he didn't believe. He but was a non-believer. Who would let their kids run around in the woods irregardless of what color the dude was? But if a guy was out running around in the woods in a fur, fur coat, coat in the middle of the night, who's going to let their kids out in the, out in the woods? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, that's even worse. That's even worse than admitting there's a Bigfoot. You know, out there in the country, we used to run around in the woods until it got dark, and then I had to go in the house. But a lot no, of no, kids no, no. used the to point, be playing. The point is, is the there's point some is, strange guy yeah, in summer yeah. wearing a big fur coat <laughs> creeping if around. Your, if I that's mean, your rationale as to what they're seeing is, look, if somebody crossed into our two-acre of woods that we owned along the creek, mm-hmm. my, my dad wasn't going to let – my dad went out with a gun and started shooting. You know, he wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah. Was, and you guys can go back out and play tomorrow and see if the guy's out there tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. It was all public property, though. Everybody went down there fishing. It was owned, I think it was owned by, part of it was owned by the railroad. And then the other side of it was just public property. So. Um, but even so, but some it, guy walk, that just happens to be out there every time you guys are out there. I wouldn't, I, if your dad really thought that, I don't think he would let you guys run around like that. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, look, I know it was the 80s and it was a different time, but but still, I mean, you start thinking about it, it's unseasonably warm and there's a guy in a big fur coat <laughs> just kind of hanging out, you know? <laughs> I mean, that that, that would right. cause me to pause, like, what's this guy doing? What's his game? What's Why is he hanging out? Is there anything is under fla- that? I would think he's a flasher. Any, yeah, anything under say, that yeah. coat? Yeah. I think the guy's a flasher, you know? Well, that right there just goes to prove my point. I mean, I really thought that his dad was just trying to rationalize it with something. He didn't want his, his son to panic. 
So, you know, he's trying to rationalize it with something that could ration, be possible. And then he I mean, my, like, my parents yeah, believed I mean, in pedophiles be. long yeah. before they believed in Bigfoot. Trust hey, I was going to say, that's not Bigfoot, it's a pedophile, son. You're yeah, okay. that's all right. Just, just be careful out there. Yeah, just be careful. Yeah, it's, that's the that's a strange thing. But I know we're, we're belaboring the point. But, I know. But, just, but did you know the thing is, though, the point I think that, that Ken's trying to make is there are people out there that no matter what evidence you present them, mm-hmm. they're always going to say, Nope, doesn't exist until I have a body. Until I have a body right. on a slab, yep. and, and it, we're never going to believe it. And, and I think probably, you know, the people the people that I talk to, you know, when I say, hey, do you think there's really a Bigfoot? The people that are the doubting Thomases always come back for the same thing, and that is until they have a body, I'm not going to believe it. You know, mm-hmm. that that's kind of the, the, the whole answer. So. Maybe you know your dad's one of those those guys in that in camp that says, "Hey, until I have a body, I ain't believing it." Well, this is my refute to that: is that how many times have you been out in the in the woods? Have you seen a dead bear land there? You don't, right. but yet they no. die. And so, what makes you think when you got a creature that's more adept to the woods than you will possibly ever be, have better eyesight, better hearing, probably knows your in the woods before you get within a half a mile of this thing, you think he's going to purposely say, hey, I'm here? I got a better question than that for you. You spent a lot of time in the woods as a kid? Yes, I did. How many times you run into a guy with a fur coat in summer? (laughs) I never never have. (laughs) My point. I was out there as a squirrel hunt, rabbit hunt. There you go. That's my point. (laughs) But you see, that's the thing is as kids, it ain't like this culture we have today. We had guns. Ken and his buddy. It was a normal thing to know how to use them. Ken and his buddy saw a guy in a fur coat at least a half a dozen times, and you never saw one. (laughs) A few. But I don't think it was a man in a fur coat. (laughs) Yeah, we we know. (laughs) So, Ken, so, so yeah, go ahead, and uh, let's get – let's. Keep moving towards the big event. All right. So um, we started camping down um, in a, on a different part of the creek. My One of my friends had moved um, to a different house, and he was closer to where was. And we started camping down off of what would be Route 7 um, and or Old Mill Road, which is Old Route 7. And we had our campsite. Now, things for years happened along this campsite. Uh, there were nights where I remember a night distinctly. Um, three of my friends went to a soccer game. So I was with my friend Jimmy's little brother, and it was just the two of us in a tent. And we heard someone stomping around the campsite. We thought it was them. They had come back and they were trying to scare us. It's stomping around the campsite and urinating on like every tree like going on every tree, like marking territory. When they finally came down about an hour later, we're like, yeah, we heard you earlier. That, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. Um, we How used to big play a game. How did these kids have? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, like several trees were marked. We, we used to play a game called ambush, which is basically hide and seek with an attitude. One person stares at the campfire while everybody else goes into the woods and hides. Then you have to find the people, but to get them on your team, you tackle them where the name ambush comes in is that you can set up ambushes to wait. You chase someone into the crowd of people on your team to tackle them and get them again on your team. So one of my friends was chasing our friend, Charlie. And he's like, Oh, what were you doing? Who are you chasing after? Oh, I'm chasing Charlie. He went that way toward the road. 
we got back to the campfire, which was behind us, no way he could have circled back around. And there's Charlie right there sitting there. He was the tallest one of us. He was probably six, four, six, five. Um, at another point, we, um, we were playing and I dove down the side of a hill, like a little embankment underneath some there's something ran across my hand. I was face down. Something ran across my hand that was furry. I freaked out, flipped over on my back. I thought at least this way I can see if there's any little critters crawling on me. And I saw a female walk between me and the crick. And as it's going past, it slowly turns its head, almost patty-like, you know, that kind of the whole shoulders turn to look at me as she keeps on walking. Uh, we had many incidents where powdered donuts came up missing and we blamed each other. We screamed at each other. We got into physical fights over these powdered donuts. My friend Ted said that he thought he saw what he thought initially was a fisherman, but when it kept happening, when it happened over and over again over the years, he said it wasn't a fisherman. It was a, about a six foot five Sasquatch standing over me, staring down at me, and then losing interest and grabbing powdered donuts and eating them and tossing the bag in the woods. You know, hey, just things like that. Hey, yeah. Ken, ha have you ever been on a television program and told your stories? No. Because this is going to sound crazy, but I have heard two of the things that you've said about the, the, the tall African man in the fur coat and the mm -hmm. ambush story. Somebody on TV has told the exact same stories. It, you know, it could very well have been my best friend because he was down there too. He's been on Wes's show. Okay, because I've seen this on – I saw this on – I don't know whether it's Terror in the Woods or or on Monsters Mystery or something, but I've heard the exact same stories that about the, the, tall, it, the tall African man and the fur coat and then the playing the ham, ambush story. I, I've heard these exact same stories. I'm like, has Ken been on TV? Is this <laughs> – we, we got a TV it, celebrity on here. Yeah. It could be behavior. It could very well yeah. be a natural behavior. There were other times where we'd sit around the campfire, and we thought it was coming from the cemetery up on the hill above the creek. Mm -hmm. but there would be rocks coming through the canopy. There was no canopy between us and the creek. It was further to the west, but the rocks coming through the canopy down in dead center in our campfire, almost hitting us or pinpoint right in the middle of our campfire. Um, noises that we would hear, we would always smell some that horrible smell. There was one night I was talking to another friend of mine about it, and he remembered the night that we heard the screaming we chalked it up to somebody's chicken was getting torn apart by a fox. Mm -hmm. That's what we thought it was, but it was this high pitched blood curdling scream. Um, so the kind I've seen on the, you know, the Bigfoot TV shows when they try to mimic the calls, but yeah. that's what it was scared the scared the snot out of us. Oh, definitely. So over the years, over the years, just all these things happen, seeing shadows go through the woods you know, chasing someone through the woods that we thought was one of our friends that wasn't because he was on, you know, the other direction. Um, and I don't know if it has any correlation, but all of these, these in the campsite happened around a place called Indian Hill, which was the site of an old fort, but it was also the site of a battle between early European settlers and a native tribe that lived there. And it ended up being a huge burial ground. Um, so I don't know if it was something about Conneaut. If you go online, if you Google Conneaut Giants, mm -hmm. there are stories about the the giant Native Americans that used to live there and the burial mounds 
that were all over Indian Hill, um, a farmer digging up a skull that fit over top of his head. Um, So there's stories uh, that even that went back to around the time of a guy named Solomon Balding, who allegedly wrote what was supposed to be a science fiction novel that was stolen by a certain founder of a church in Utah. (laughs) So uh, we won't go into Solomon Spaulding's widow claims that Joseph Smith stole his book and made it into their holy book. I won't mention it. I don't want to offend anybody, you know, after listening, but yeah, yeah, right. I understand that. So then we get to fall of like 1990, maybe 91. We had a habit of walking over to the east side of town and cutting through this guy's cornfield and then back through the woods and up over the hill to get to my friend Jimmy's house. It was what we did in the summer. We were bored. We had been in the woods all day. We were knocking over what we thought were lean-tos that people were setting up. I remember distinctly there was a tree that was down with all these other pieces of of branches and things over it, thinking, why would anyone build a tree or a lean-to on this tree because it's on a hill? If it rains it's going to come right down into their shelter. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But we're stupid kids. We we knocked things down all the time that now I would look at and say, oh, I wonder if that's a structure. So it's getting dark. It was a hot day. So the ground is steaming, but it cooled off. So we've got this mist in the air. We're walking cross over this little creek. We were going to go up over the hill through the field and down the other side of my friend Jimmy's house to go out and then around following the path. It was probably going up and over the hill, probably maybe a hundred yards, 150 yards going out and around was probably to the road was probably a good 400 yards plus the another three or 400 yards from the road to get to Jimmy's property. So I hear a crack and I ran into one of one of her friends was there. I don't even know which one I ran into. And I'm looking up on top of the hill and there's this there's this big massive male sitting there shaking the hell out of a tree. Angry, like fierceness in his eyes, shaking, violently shaking this tree. We went back to look at it like a month later because we weren't going back any sooner than that. And the tree's probably a good twelve inches in diameter. And the whole thing was shaking. He had a hold of a thick branch, shaking it. We stared at it again. Time just disappeared for me. And um, as, as I'm looking, somebody yelled, run. It might have been me. It might have been somebody else. But as soon as somebody said, run, the spell snapped. We took off. The first thing we did was run sideways instead of out because my friend Jimmy, God love him, but if you were close to him and we were running from anything, it could be it could be other kids, bigger kids. It could be police. It could be some guy's property that we're cutting through. He didn't have to be the fastest one. He just had to be faster than one person. So he would grab you and throw you down. Oh, man. So he, he grabs, reaches out, grabs his stepbrother, throws him into the stream. My best friend Ted says all he sees is Mark jump out of the stream and pass every single one of us soaking wet. We run out of the woods. Now, I remember looking back over my shoulder and watching the thing turn around and walk away on two legs. That always stuck with me because when people said it was a bear, I said, number one, a bear would see a bunch of kids running and be like, hey, playtime. 
even if it wasn't a grizzly, black bears still had a tendency to do that in the area. They liked to see people running and chase after them. It was a game. Uh, but this, or it, it'll turn around and walk away on all fours. This walked away on two legs and turned around and watched us as I'm watching it running out of these. We get around and my mind blanks. Um, I'm told that we ran instead of running toward Jimmy's house because that would have put the hill between us and the road and we didn't want to be any closer than we could. We ran the opposite direction, waited about 45 minutes, and then took the long way around to his house. The only thing I remember is opening up my eyes and being on the floor of his bedroom, scared to death because we thought it was going to find us. Wow. So let me ask you this question. So your experiences have been... Ones that you felt that the Sasquatch was very kind, caring, right. inviting, Safe. and then the others aggressive. That one incident was the only time I was ever afraid in the woods. Even after that, when I went back down in the woods, I was fine. Everything was fine. I felt safe. Do you but think it, was it was a group because, of us. Do you think it was because you were knocking down the lean-tos? Do you think it was just this particular man? I mean, one of the things that, that – that I keep falling back on, and we've been through this before and other things, is that, look, if these are animals, okay, they're not supernatural beings. If they're actually biological animals, then they go through mating seasons just like every other thing, other than necessarily Homo sapiens, a little bit different. But if if you stumble upon an, you know, an elephant troop with when there's females in season, the aggressive males, you you'll be in trouble. Um You've, right. You know, so it, it, I mean, it could be a situation where one of the females is in season and that you're stumbling into an area where there's aggressiveness be, between males over breeding rights and things like that. Uh, because, I mean, there, there's no evidence, there's no evidence that these things mate like wolves, you know, wolves will mate and then that the, the female will not um attempt to breed with any other males when they mate, they mate right. for life. Uh, but in, but with, with primates, you know, the smaller primates, you know, the, the, the real small primates, they'll, they'll, they'll mate and stay as mates. But once you get into the larger primates, they, you know, there's competition, there's, there's alpha males and there's competition over, over breeding. So it may very well be you stumbled upon a situation where, you know, that one of the females or multiple females were in season and you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, what we believe is that we were about to stumble upon a nesting site and that he was a sentry. Mm. Because he was bigger than the juveniles and like the teenagers and the young males that we had seen walking through the campsite that we have seen, you know, the shadow out of the corner of our eye. This was a large male, like an alpha male. Right. And or maybe even a beta male who was set up to watch over everybody else. We think it was a sentry and finding what we thought, what we were always told were nesting sites for deer that looked a little too woven for a deer, you know, with no opposable thumb to do. You know, we we found grass literally weave, you know, woven like a basket. So we think it was a nesting site and that we weren't supposed to go up and over that hill because that's where they chose to sleep at night. And we were going to walk right into the middle of their family unit and that we were being warned away. Wow. So what, what do you, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you when I talked to you, 
But but what do you think is special about that area where you were living that made it a habitat for these? I mean, creatures? other than for the fact there was a confluence of of, of trees and rivers yeah, and I things mean, like that. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, the the so called experts or people that do a lot of studying. I hesitate to use the word expert because are any of us experts? Only Stacey, you know, we go only by on our show, Stacy Brown. Is the only expert we've ever had. I love, I love Stacy. We all love Stacy Brown too, mm-hmm. and I. But I, I love Stacy. He is an expert in our mm-hmm. book at yeah. whatever he wants. To, whatever he claims to be. Whatever he claims to be, he'll he'll <laughs> if he hears this, he'll he'll he's love. He's awesome. <laughs> so okay, so go ahead. My bad. Um, Especially the Van well, Allen belt, the radiation yeah. belt. <laughs> okay. you, you'll hear you'll hear that railroad tracks are basically a super highway for these creatures. Kind of, kind of like they love the it uh, electric. Because they. The electric. Right. Uh, you know, they go they, cut up over yeah. mountains. Yep. Yeah. They they love the open area that's always near wooded areas or fields. That it's a quick getaway. It's easy to traverse. Well, we had now we had guest, three. We had the one guest that said they saw them riding the rails. Stan Courtney from said Illinois. They, said, yeah, said they were riding the rails. They said, were. He I heard that episode. Glorified hobos, man. Yeah, I mean, which, and you're, and that's what I wondered. I wondered if, I mean, because it does make sense if you want to go somewhere and not be seen, okay, and you're not going to go by the rivers. Go, you go see the railroad tracks because they oh, yeah. cut across mm-hmm. some of the thickest woods and the mm-hmm. most, you know, mm-hmm. out of the way places. And, and a lot of them follow along the rivers anyway. Right. Yeah. And if you want to throw in the fact that maybe some of them are jumping on. Railroad cars, which, I, I mean, I find that fascinating. You know, I mean, I think that the jury's uh, still out on the jury's. St- well, the jury's only still out for us because you know we haven't seen we it. haven't seen yeah. it. Okay, well, you but know the thing is, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, th- there were railroad tracks. We we would walk for miles, and there was nothing. I mean, there were woods on both sides, and then there'd mm-hmm. be a field and things like that. Right. And it was a weird feeling being on the tracks. And I don't know if you've never walked the railroad tracks. Now you get in trouble because the railroads don't want you on them. But it's just a weird feeling when you're on the tracks and there's trees on both sides and stuff like that. It's just it's uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. But so it's a weird sensation. Years ago, the tracks used to sit up high. My mom told me the story that they would lay down and let the trains run over them. Because the track oh, set up high goodness. enough. Yeah, the, the track set up high enough. And I thought, you know, if a piece of metal was dangling down, it just ripped you right in half. But yeah, yeah but so, yeah, if, if you wanted to traverse, and I always thought this, and I always thought that, you know, if somebody ever broke, you know, we, you know, we have people break out of prison, break out of jails. The one of the best ways that you ever escape is to jump on a train because, you know, I mean, they set up roadblocks and they check people's mm-hmm. cars and they they check their trunks and stuff like. That. But nobody ever checks a train. No, nobody checks freight train anymore. Now, now your friends that experienced this stuff with you, how, right? I mean, did you have a core group of guys that all experienced the same? Oh yeah, thing? there were there were like three or four of us that were always together. Maybe five of us that were always together that experienced these things. Now what? What is their version of events? Are any of them, were any of them still doubters afterwards? Did they still, um, were, were they in the camp of your dad that, you know, it was just some dude in a fur coat or what? I mean, how, how, how did they react to these events? 
Got a little technical difficulty, Ken. Oh, um, Ted, he's retiring this year as a 20-year veteran of the Air Force, um, Air Force Reserves. He also was a corrections officer for about 20 years as well. He He's actually been on and he's talked to Wes on his podcast. He believes, we've talked about this like excessively. He's got stories that I wasn't there for that picture in my mind because of the way he's described it. Um, I just started talking to one of my oldest friends again this year we lost touch and we just started talking a few months ago. Ken, we got more technical difficulties. <laughs> we can't hear you. Oh, we lost you. How about now? Yeah, Are we good? Yep. Yeah, we got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my friends that that I hung out with, a couple of them will still talk about it to this day. They remember the stuff that happened. Uh, my friend Jimmy, who I just started talking again to after about 25 years, we had lost touch. I'll tell him the stories, and he like, I remember that his mom's house that we that we ran to and hit on the floor. She used to keep a shotgun by her bed. Because something in the middle of the night would walk around the house and slap the walls. Holy moly. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, my friend Ted was dating a girl. Her parents, south of town, had cleared an area of woods and built their house. Apparently, this was a nesting site because as soon as they moved in, the house was attacked every single night with something big walking around it, slapping the walls. Never broke the windows never broke in but would slap the walls and make sounds every night you know and that that's a common phenomenon that if you listen to enough shows and things like that you'll hear that that happens Mm -hmm. the walking around the property slapping the walls looking uh, in the windows you know things like that so you know and 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 i throw this out there with all of this aggressiveness that, that people have it's amazing that someone has not shot and bagged a sasquatch yet you know what I mean? It's, it's amazing that someone hasn't shot one. Or maybe they've shot one and then decided not to. But you think about it. If you shot and, if you shot and, and, and wounded, captured, killed a Sasquatch, it, it's a $50 million corpse. I mean, you could literally sell this thing for $50 million. People would, I mean, that would, that, that would be maybe the most valuable thing, you know, out there right now. Well, I believe that uh, these things are so large that most people don't possess a firearm of a large enough caliber that they would be able to actually do enough damage before that thing would kill them. That's an old-fashioned buffalo gun. That's what you need, an elephant gun or an old-fashioned buffalo gun. Right, yeah. but most people, you know, nowadays they don't have that. No, I mean, a lot of, the, so. a lot of people, I mean, like myself, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I got a Remington 870 shotgun, but I don't think that's that's going to do it. I mean, that's going to make it pretty mad. Scared around in it? No, I ain't going to do <laughs> you know, it. I've got to. Yeah, it's just going to make it mad. You know. Well, then you have to think: Is it an endangered species? Be classified as that, and will you catch crap from the government for killing an endangered species? Well, I don't think you can. The get... federal government and the Smithsonian's going to swoop in. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think you can be charged for killing a mythical creature. Now. There are certain jurisdictions out west that has has made it 
they, they have actually codified that it's illegal to shoot a Sasquatch. But in right. Ohio, there's no such statute. I mean, and there's no such statute that says that you couldn't kill an endangered species if it was trying to kill you. You're, you're still if you felt threatened. If you yeah. felt threatened, right. so. Yeah. And then, of course, there's there's the theory that if it is an undiscovered hominid, are you killing another species of man? Does that constitute, you know, it's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Or if you come forward, are they going to believe you? Well, there's a, the whole other thought is if you try to come forward, the the, the proverbial men in black is going to show up and confiscate the, the thing and tell you that you didn't see anything and to shut up. Black you know helicopters I mean? at Mount St. Helens. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I would do this because I, I I just wouldn't. I don't kill things. I don't hunt. I don't believe in that. And, and I know you guys are all going to laugh at me for this. But last night I was going in my house and there's this big, giant pinching beetle. I mean, this thing was at least it's, two inches. Did you scoop it up in your arms and and cradle it? <laughs> uh, no, but it was at least two inches by two inches. Big pinchers, crazy. And what's on its and it was on its back, and I said, oh, I picked it up and you know and and put it in a place where it could where it would live, and I because I thought there's no way I'm going to and I did this one other time. I had uh, we had some feral cats outside our house, and we had a water dish, and and I was getting ready to leave for work, and I looked and I saw one of them June bugs was floating on its in, on its back in the water, and I had to get it out because I couldn't go to work or be comfortable knowing something was dying and that I could have interceded, but I did not. This from the man that posed the question, why is this way shot a big, well, yeah, but they're not me. Like I'm the guy that look. you know how many, do you know how many times I've stopped and picked up injured possums on the road and, and listen, I hope it's zero. I hope the answer to that is zero. I'm, I'm a, I rescue injured animals. I do. But my point is, there's a lot of people out there that are not me. You have not. uh, Okay. Jason, you got to scrub this part out. That, that we have somebody, right. somebody um, while, while we're doing that. helping out um, injured yeah. possums. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Let's yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate to do it, guys. I have to go. I've got to get on a call with one of my kids oh, okay. uh, that I work with. Um, they have prescribed hours. Uh, I work with kids on the autism spectrum. Mm, yeah. And if... They are very schedule oriented. Got yeah, yeah, you got to stay on their schedule. Well, Keith, yeah. thanks for your stories. We'd love to have you back on. There's, uh, I'm sure you have oh, a lot I'm, more stories to tell us. I've got some ghost stories too. Oh yeah. Well, we appreciate Ken. We appreciate uh, you coming on, and we will uh, be looking forward to hear how hear with the audience. Stories. Yeah, hear more stories. Yep. Thank you for coming. All on, right. Ken. Take appreciate care, Ken. It. Have a good. Thank one. you guys very yep. much. I appreciate it. Yep. Yep. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.